Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the show. My name is Scott Wiley, and you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast. And today, we have episode 30. And it has been one hell of a journey to get this far. And it is all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, we've done... 30 episodes, plus a couple extras that don't have a number. So, yeah, welcome. If this is your first time here, we're a show that covers action films, and we do them across all eras, all decades, if you'd rather say it that way, and we try and keep it varied from picking different corners of the planet that are doing action films. This particular one is a 1980s classic that stars and was directed by Sammo Hung, and I'm not going to list who else stars in this because... Oh my god, everyone in this was just a legend, and still is, to be frank. Everybody in this was somebody important to the Hong Kong film industry. Everybody in this was bringing a massive pedigree with them to the role, and uh, Vice and I will talk about that, and as you will have seen by the title of the episode, we have the legend that is Vice Victus with us. Vice will introduce himself, but for those of you who may be unfamiliar with him, which would be very, very surprising given that his uh, other podcast is Action for Everybody, and we've had two previous guests, Liam and Mike, so by now you should be very familiar with that show if you weren't somehow before, which I suspect you were if you listened to this one, but also Vice, as he will uh, say himself, has been a film journalist, and he's written a lot of his own stuff, and a lot of that is really worth uh, reading. I will say this again when you hear the past me, but I want to just quickly add to it that I say that I follow him on Twitter, but when I say I follow him on Twitter, he doesn't just post, like, random stuff. He posts, like, serious, analytical, thoughtful discussions and what he thinks about films and these different ways of looking at cinema and sequences and scenes and characters and... You know, he can do these really long threads, which a lot of people do anyway nowadays, but his stuff is really great. There are a couple of other accounts that are really good for it as well, but I really enjoyed uh, following Vice for the longest time, along with a couple of others, and maybe in the future we'll get some of those people on as well. I don't think, you know, they, they necessarily do podcast appearances, but maybe we can convince them to come on like we did with a few other people who had never done podcasts before and now they're freaking everywhere and I can uh, I can keep myself warm at night knowing that I'm the one that convinced them that they should do podcasts and then everybody else was like oh my god we should get them on it's like yes yes you should so I'm gonna throw you over to myself and Vice now we do a pretty good uh, breakdown of the series of events and the, and the plot uh Vice Really, really didn't want to, like, talk about a lot of the spoilers, because there definitely are some. I, on the other hand, I'm like, it's a 40-year-old movie. So I will just iterate that if you haven't seen this film, I would definitely, 100%, tell you to go and watch it. I, I'm not that fussed if you watch it 
now or if you watch it after you've listened to this conversation because as i say a lot of the uh more spoilerific stuff uh, is not talked about but we do cover stuff that happens in the film so if you want to go in dead cold i would recommend going and finding it it is no longer a film that is difficult to find and that is something that i'm incredibly happy about i have it on both dvd and blu-ray i'm pretty sure that you can like find it on amazon video to rent or it might even be on tubi or haya or all of these wonderful services out there these days that you can find legitimate ways of watching this film in good quality it's just amazing what a time to be alive so without any more rambling, here's the conversation that you've all come here to hear. Alright ladies and gentlemen, we are live in the room and we have finally done it. I'm going to try and keep my voice down because for me it is a little bit later than normal, but I will probably get excited at some point, but at long last... The trifecta has been completed. We have assembled the Triforce. We have the third host of Action for Everyone on the show. We've now gotten all of them. And uh, now the roulette wheel starts again and I have to go back to Mike. That's that's the law. I don't make it. But please give a warm welcome to my guest this week, Vice. How are you doing, Vice? Oh, man. I didn't know this was going to be such like a prestigious honor. <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> the circle is complete. Yeah, oh, boy. Yep. So uh, for those who may be unfamiliar with you, would you like to uh, give everyone a bit of a taste of what you do online? Other than the oh, yeah. fact you're a host of Action for Everyone. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's my current my current uh, gig as far as the uh, uh, movie versus uh, film journalism, film criticism uh, sphere. Oh, yeah. So I'm currently the host of Action for Everyone. We talk about action films, past and present, and just behind scenes stuff. And uh, before that, and, and s- still in a ways now, I was a writer for a long time, um, a freelance film critic, a film journalist. Um, my big break was uh, with the now defunct uh, Birth Movies Death, the uh, website that was uh, operated by the Admiral Draft House. Um, and and you know, and for people who don't know, like you know, I I was in the army for a long time. I started doing film criticism while I was still enlisted. So and I, I'm, my kind of forte is I or my niche is a. Uh, I bring my experience and knowledge about the military history and, and global history in some regards to my film criticism. So, and so I have a pretty strong focus on like war films and international cinema in general, and particularly in action films because I love it so much. You know, I just, you know, that's been my stuff, my bread ever since I was a kid, just uh, getting into all kinds of action movies, like big blockbusters and DTV stuff, maybe cable stuff, maybe TV stuff, the whole, the whole gamut. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, that, that's me. Yeah, um, I will say uh, I re- I've read a few of your articles, reviews, whatever you want to call them over the years, like when we all started to sort of knit together as as action Twitter, even though I know that term has kind of gone away. It's kind of gone beyond that now. But um, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, your stuff. I enjoy following you on Twitter as well. And like you said, uh, having that perspective of ha- having been in the army, you and um a couple other folks that we follow, I really enjoy seeing the differences because I see it so much where someone who hasn't had your experiences will come along and say, oh, this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't right. This is what someone would think. And this, this will really bother someone. And then you come along and it's just like, I don't give a shit. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, 
yes, stop trying to make a big deal out of someone that's not there, man. Yeah. And part of that too is, uh, well, my, my personal experience is one thing. And then, you know, um, oh, for those not listening who don't know, I'm black. Uh, so like, <laughs> so I'll get it, I'll get it, I'll get into a lot of the conversations sometimes unwillingly about like, uh, when there's, when racism or like is a racial component to a certain film or drama or whatever. Yeah. And so like, you know, same thing is like, you know, this is, this is not realistic or this is, this wouldn't happen or like, uh, this doesn't make sense. And it's like, you know, this, like just having a different lens as it were helps a lot with the conversation um, or the discourse about what the film is trying to do and versus what how successful it is at doing it. And so, and, and so it's kind of a, I kind of take it in stride because on one hand, that experience gives me an insight that it's uncommon in the, the in the general field of journalism. But also, I'm just some dude. I'm just some asshole underwear, you know. At the end of the day, so it's like I'm just this other guy with another opinion. So it's like it, you don't have to take my word as gospel necessarily. But you know, just, uh, just again having the discussion of, of all these ideas and opinions helps make the, the discussion as a whole better. So, which is to say, like you don't have to necessarily. Well, I should be careful. I say this because sometimes I would say you don't have to go on for to understand what a war movie is doing, for example. But you know, it certainly fucking helps, you know. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, what you just said about not having to take your word as gospel and, you know, yes, you're a journalist, you've done X, Y, and Z, but at the end of the day, you are just a guy in your room writing words. Mac and I had the same conversation. Uh, I don't know exactly when this episode will drop. So for everybody listening, you will have heard that episode by now. Um, and me and Mac had a big, long talk about the fact that we have a lot of people these days who see themselves as being journalists who see themselves as being able to critique things who want to, to pick things apart and i i made it very clear when i said that in that episode that i realized the irony of me saying what i'm about to say given that i also am one of those people that run a podcast <laughs> uh but it's kind of bled into you can't just enjoy a film you can't just go yeah that was good yeah that was great everybody wants to dissect something everybody wants to overanalyze it and i love the fact that you, for example, literally just said, yeah, I do that. But at the end of the day, I'm just a guy. It doesn't matter what I think. And I feel like there's a lot of people that do this, whether professionally or, or just passionately, that can't do that last bit. It's like, I will overanalyze everything. And when I'm done, you will all bow before my intellect. And it's like, no, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and as part of, you know, as I, say, you know I, was, I was enlisted, I was, I was specifically... I was an intelligence analyst uh, in my in my field during the time of service. So, like, the actual analysis part kind of comes inherent to me, or at least it's been learned so long that I apply the same analytical skill that I did for my work to film. I just can't I can't help it at all. Yeah. So, you know, I I, hmm, I, I do feel like it's a strength that, and again, it's not so much for my own sake as a, as or building my own brand up as it were. I want to just get the overall conversations about films to be well better frankly like you know and i, I hope my, my my goal or my hope is i'm doing that in some form by having this unique experience but again like you said it's not about like me being better than a certain writer although well i i, <laughs> I was gonna say i am <laughs> some of them but i just like i'm just talking shit but no like i want to make the, the, the whole sphere of doesn't better by if, if not if only like introduce these ideas and then Somebody who might have a better experience or more like a 
academic acumen or you know just regular insight they can from what i suggest or what other people suggest they can further pick apart or further like work through what that movie is doing if it's effective or not you know so just all just you know all these get like adding to the competition in a meaningful way in a, in a, in a you know, and the other part of it is at the end of the day is that uh, you know it's just movies. Like it's just like they don't really mean anything in some way, or or well, you know, I guess you can argue that we as movie lovers, it's it's the world to us. But you know, there's you got to kind of like take a balance or a balanced view of what it's what the movies really mean. It's a, it's a business. It's people's livelihoods for for damn sure. You know, like people live and die off this stuff too. But also, you know, on a general level. It's not that serious. It's not left and death. It's not actually military operations that it used to be. So, you know, just that kind of taking all that and, and taking all that into consideration, you know, knowing when to be serious, knowing when to like, you know, just, just, just let it go have fun with it. It's all, it's all part, part of the fun, part, part, of the, part of the game. So I dig it. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I also think a big part of the, 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 not problem, that's not the word I want, but I think people kind of forget that art and beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And the second you put something out into this world, whether it be a film, a book, a painting, a drawing, a comic, whatever it is, you had your intentions as the author, but now it's in the hands of everybody else, and they're going to put their own meanings on it based on the life experience and what they've been through, and it's going to mean something completely different to how you read uh, or consume media to how I do. And I see that when I read your reviews versus reading Matt's reviews versus reading some random person I've never met before. Yeah. And uh, some of your stuff and some of um, Outlaw Vern's stuff, you can see things that I will never see because of the different experiences. I mean, for starters, we're from two completely different countries. Even though we both speak English, our culture is very different. And I see that a lot, being that I've got a lot of American friends like... Uh, Mike especially will see problems with films that I don't. And I know for a fact that that is because the UK isn't in the same place with a lot of issues that the US is. Uh, but once it gets pointed out to you, it's really difficult to not see some of these things. I know we've kind of gone off topic right from the word go, but it's fine because we do this sometimes. <laughs> but I have, a, I have this friend called Keith and I really want to get him onto the podcast at some point. Um, he is uh, He's also black and he has been kind of banging the drums for a very long time about how certain black characters in films and media there's certain tropes that they always seem to end up in and i kind of noticed it but i didn't realize how bad it was until he really started to point it out even to this day and once you notice it i can't watch films now with these tropes because it's like are we still doing this really yeah. and it's <laughs> it's incredibly frustrating and that's why I like spreading out and going to different countries, covering different eras of media, because I want to see how different it is. Because to to fly us back to Eastern Condors, which is the topic of this week's episode, the first thing that stood out to me is the women in this film get to do shit and they get to kick ass and look good while they do it. Considering this was made in the 80s over in Hong Kong, that was kind of the norm, but there's an awful lot of people that will be Wait, this was made in the eighties. I thought Kick-Ass Women was only invented in the last few years. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I get into you know little arguments every now and then, and like people are like, uh, what was it, uh, Birds of Prey? You know, the um, Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn. Okay, you no, know, it's a fun movie, you know. And people are like, you know, wow, for the first time ever, we had these like female-fronted, you know, superhero style or you know, action, all whole team of um, 
heroic female action movies. And I'm like, you guys, the heroic trio was made back, like you know, back in the nineties. Like that, this is really been going on, you know. Uh, yeah, but again, that's as you were saying. There's a conflict too. Like not everybody's seen that. But and well, yeah, this is a good point because uh, part of how I got into this movie that we'll discuss today, you know, like um, it's true that nobody, not many people have access to film, international film specifically, or even even hell, even like you know, America, or if you're your own country's uh, cinema, um, wherever you may be, um, be our our film or indie films, you know, depending on where you are, it's hard, maybe hard to get to some of those. Like and I know, I know in our case in America, a, a lot of um, a lot of uh, residential areas throughout the country, the the multiplexes are dominated by blockbuster stuff. You know, but that's been by you know, as the years have gone on by design, Marvel, Disney, all that whole that whole yep, yep. corporate mess. You know, so they don't, they don't really have access to, to more smaller stuff. And so to the point about the heroic tree, you know, like you know, I saw that. Well, I I live in New York, New York City. And you know, when I was growing up in the eighties and nineties, you know, we, we and it's still still to this day, uh, we have plenty of like local residential shopping areas like Jamaica Avenue, where I am at Chinatown, uh, where they had the bootleg DVDs, bootleg VCDs, they had them, video CDs. That was a thing back in the day, uh, before before your time, maybe. Uh, no, know. no, I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they would have this stuff, you know, available. Like, you, just, you just had to know where to look. You know, it had to you know, had to connect or whatever. So on one hand, it's like you know. I, the, the, I always have a problem with people say, you know, people, people don't have access and they mean it in like a kind of a classist kind of way, like, or like as it relates to the class. And I was dirt poor and, and grew up in the, in the hood, but I was able to see from around the world. And just, I, just, I just had to figure out how to do it, you know. So it's not like a judgment on anybody's. It's like, well, my point is that, you know, this stuff is out there and there's various ways to get it. And so with that and doing that, you have this experience, this context of, Oh wait, this stuff has been around before for years, decades. Like you, you mentioned the tropes, and you know, like you know, back when the seventies, the exploitation movement and stuff, or you know, Shaft started at all. Like even that is the example of the movie Shaft. It's considered exploitation, but like it's a pretty like kind of a revolutionary kind of movie. Really, it's like a yeah, like it's no, more I agree. than just like you know, it's, it's more than just like a, you know, pimps and hoes. It's like it's like an actual like actual empowerment fighting the government kind of movie kind of thing. And, yeah. You know, see, and like, and like, that's been around for like since then, if not before that, you know, and with Black Cinema back in the twenties, thirties, you know, Oscar Michel and so forth. So, like, again, like your point about, oh, to, to a lot of us, these things, these, this progress is new, but no, it's been here the whole time. See, and to the so to easy condos, you know, like all, all these, like uh, the, to use our American term, these are the baddest bitches like you ever see in the movies, like the, the three, uh, the three Cambodian uh, gorillas, you know, uh, and like that's just, and it's just, it's just one facet. Of this awesome movie that is, you know, from what I, I would consider one of the greatest action movies of all time. And so you can, you can get to that now. Yeah, no, I, I don't think many people would disagree with you. I have always maintained that if you wanted to get someone into 80s Hong Kong cinema action films, start with Eastern Condors because it doesn't have much, because it does have a little bit, but it doesn't have much of that dated humor that is it pervades all 80s hong kong movies it doesn't matter who they start they've all got it because i think i've said this before all of them are in really like slapstick comedy because it was prevalent when they were kids it's what they grew up on because again people forget that it was old hat in a, in the west but it was only just arriving in the east when they were growing up 
So all the old, outdated sense of humors that everybody now judges and says, quite rightly, it's not got a place in modern day society, to them, it wasn't old. Like, that was still the in thing. It's a very recent development that the East uh, society and technology it caught up with the West. And I think people kind of judge these older films harshly because they don't take any of that into account. But Eastern Condors is different in that they tried, well, Samo specifically tried to keep all of that out because it's a war film. And he even said in an interview, like, find me another war film made by the Hong Kong action team and you probably won't find one. And he said, I can't think of another one. And there's a reason for that. It's because Hong Kong doesn't really have a war to relate to. And so the fact that he made, like you said, one of the best action films, a pretty decent war film. It's not the best war film by any stretch of the imagination, but he set out to make one and made it a success in a country where war films were not having any success. And I think that kind of speaks for itself into the end quality of the product. Yeah. And just, I, I kind of think about the its time and place of it for a minute. This, I think it was 87. Yeah. It was released in, in the China. But like, it's just like also like the uh, era, just as, you know, Schwarzenegger was coming up and becoming a big, big draw in America. And like, you know, a lot of uh, the growth of the 80s domestic action films, uh, like, you know, uh, uh, First Blood, itself not a national film, but like, it was just so um, revolutionary and so on, changing the game. And so it was, what's fascinating to me is that you mentioned the war film, um, as we get into the, the details of this movie now, like uh, more than anything I found surprising about Eastern Connors is, is how it's pretty starts, pretty strongly like, uh, political, like or specifically like, a very anti-American or uh, very critical of America and its military um, force projection. You know, it's, it, it's again, it's really about going back to Vietnam, or as it were, and trying to. Uh, and they say, there's like a lot of mistakes. Specifically, we are here to fix America's mistakes. And even then, like, and you know, I mentioned racial stuff in the, in, in the intro here, like um, having the movie constructed as Chinese American, well, Chinese convicts in America, and also Chinese American soldiers, the, the, the leaders, the, the actual. Army officers yeah. leading the mission. That's a really like that's a really profound kind of a uh, setup establishment. You know, like a uh, yes, you know, like the the suicide mission criminal fashion isn't new to cinema, or, or you know, Dirty Dozen and so forth. But like this, it's this specific context of the, like they, they kind of say part of the reason why these convicts are arrested in the first place because they were like illegal immigrants or they were doing crimes in America because they had to get by somehow because they couldn't get proper jobs. And so, they, like the, this, and this is kind of a you hear this throughout the movie to the end, like the the America doesn't want them, and they, they kind of don't want America, but like they they still do, like it's, it's still like it's just something about it, like you know, it's like fuck America, but you know America's great too. It's like it's, it's a very strange paradox of them doing this mission, and they're not, they're not doing it for patriotic things. They're doing it like like any good one, one movie or any real war story is about. It's about ultimately the brotherhood that they they, they, they share. They're fighting for each other, not for a specific cause. Um, but no, it, it's just really interesting. You know, in, like in the first open, in the first few minutes of the movie, the opening, uh, where they're on a military base, and like they kind of, kind of make fun of American soldiers, like frankly, like it's like it's a very getting scene. Like, uh, they're doing saluting the flag, but uh, they're um, presenting the colors. Yeah, uh, it's like a daily daily ceremony, and any army base to raise the flag, and the Americans can't do it. The flag gets stuck. 
So, so, so the Chinese American soldier has to like run up the flagpole and pull it down. Like this, like this, like this very overt Chinese soldiers are better than American soldiers, and specifically like and, and also like like as a movie showing Chinese Americans or or Chinese immigrants immigrants in general is what gives America its power, and then it doesn't even realize it. The country doesn't even realize this power that it has that it keeps granted that it that it has contempt for even you know with, with all the racial animus. Uh, all the institutionalization, but no. It, it, so Samuel, you know, director of these comics, and also the stars, like you know, yeah, these guys are idiots. I'm gonna, we're gonna show, tell the, tell, tell them to the faces, basically, that you know, they're they're fools for the military, the way they, the way they, establish their military like this. So yeah, yeah, just just that, even before any, even before the first kick or the first gunshot, that was probably the the, the hardest hit that I felt seeing this for the first time. I am. Um... I did like the flag scene because obviously they, it's it's funny in its own way. But the bit that did it for me is when they go and pick up the team from the prison and they're they're sat down with the warden and he's like, what, you only want 10 of them? I mean, why don't take 100? And then they're like, no, no, 10 will do. And then he says, oh, it doesn't matter how many you take. If you need more, I can always just arrest some more. And mm. the way he says it, the way it's, shot and the little look that they give each other you could tell that was written as i will find a reason to arrest some more chinese people you know and it's like again like you said it's it's we haven't even got five minutes into the film yet and it's already just coming at you with a fist to the face and i think that goes over a lot of people's heads when they watch stuff like this they just go oh it's a fun action film you know then they don't pay much attention to the dialogue they don't pay much attention to the subtlety that's being inferred and i understand why you know it's really difficult to pay attention to the subtleties that's going on under the dialogue when the dialogue isn't even really properly syncing with the lips which is really off-putting when it's english trying to match english <laughs> yeah. but even that's it because like there's a part where the uh the, the two chinese officers they're getting their mission briefing from the, the white general and he and so i watched i watched the dub well i guess it's like well it's a subtitle main subtitle but the the conversation in the first part is, is dubbed in english yeah as so both the chinese american speaking as, as well and so the but the general calls them like dialogue like like boys like inside in in uh i think in cantonese i believe it is cantonese, like chinese. Yeah. yeah and like he, he he calls them that like that was like oh this is interesting like this play on language and words here that that that's again it's a really subtle thing that you wouldn't necessarily pick up on but again that, that's that enforces this whole subtext of of this uh racial animus against chinese by the americans it's really fascinating stuff yeah, and I mean, just quickly, because uh, you watched the the new high definition release, right? right? Yes. Yeah, that's that's what I watched as well. For me, it's done by Eureka. I do also. I'm pointing at it. No one listening can see me point. I also have the DVD of it that was uh, originally done years ago, and I and I gotta say, the audio options because some people listening maybe didn't watch the same, but it sounds like me and you both watched the original Cantonese dub. But there's an alternate Cantonese dub, which I don't actually understand what that is. There's also a Mandarin dub and there's two different English dubs. So there are plenty of audio options if you want to mess around with that. But we both watched the original Cantonese dub. So that's the version we're talking about, just in case anybody's confused listening, going, that's not what how I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so we'll get into the a little more. So um so you know that so having that start starting out with that very overt political stuff. Really fascinating. Then, you, then it kind of goes into the straight up, like you know, and then intermission, actual action film that you 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 expect to see. 
Um, so it was really cool having that that in mind, and I uh, seeing all the you know, and I guess this two features um, I think seven of the or six of the seven they call them the lucky stars. Yeah, all the yeah. great uh, 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 Samo and and Yumba, all the um main elite Hong Kong. All, 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 all the, the folks who came from the Peking Opera School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just like just seeing them in their prime, you know, as the movie start, you know, the first actor. So you know, like the we did like the parachute drop and. They, they need to go those and they, like this this uh this really like seeing these guys in their prime that I that I that I'd seen it, you know, in a very other context, but just like this is a great setup. And then um but then yeah, but then there's also like these uh, knowing what you said about Samuel keeping having that war film aesthetic in mind, they kind of stick to that those archetypes as well. Um I guess, so I just to be clear, we're gonna spoil the movie from here on out. So by listening. Um so you know like uh they do like the parachute drop in, into into Vietnam and one of the one of their soldiers gets injured and dies just just from the petrol drop, like you know. He, he that's, does, that, yes. that, that's yeah, that's such emotion. The the fact that yo no, this is actually a war film, so people are going to have to drop them like flies throughout this movie. But it also <laughs> kind of sets a precedent that um. So my partner watched this with me, sort of. She was multitasking, cause, but she ended up basically watching the whole thing with me, and uh, she picked up on the black humor straight away. And I and I was in stitches because I I have a very dark sense of humor when I'm in the right mood, and she realized straight away why he died. Yeah, <laughs> and I I she just couldn't believe that they did that to him, and the fact that he died is because he has stutter and couldn't count to twenty before he had to open the parachute. Is I don't know how they how they came up with that, but if that that like you said, it perfectly sets up. This is a war film. People are going to die. But also, there are some fucked up things that are coming your way in the future. People yeah. are going to die in a nice, pleasant, heroic way most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely has that. Uh, this definitely right, right from the right from the get go, just that perfect melding of the traditional or that or that eighty style Hong Kong um, um, vibe with this war film. So yeah, like that joke is a perfect encapsulation of that thing. You know, this it's really is a silly ass joke, but like you know, like any silly Hong Kong comedy. But it's in the context of a, a hardcore war machine going awry. It's really great. The thing is, as well, is they set it up perfectly in the plane because they have that big conversation about the fact that they weren't actually trained to para drop. And then one of them says, so what happens if the parachutes fails? And the colonel just looks at him dead serious and says, then you'll be the first to land. And <laughs> <laughs> that in and of itself is funny, but then it actually happens. And you're like, oh. Oh, I shouldn't have laughed at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So from there, you know, I guess uh, you know, it just kind of goes to the the plot itself isn't too intricate. But the main thing is that um, the soldiers now on now on ground have to um meet up with their with their um allies slash uh, guerrillas to help them complete the mission. The mission itself being you know to um destroy this uh, cache of old old U.S. weapons, like the giant you know stockpile weapons that they don't want to get into. Um, enemy hands. So they meet up with the uh, the Cambodian guerrillas. Um, you know the uh, uh, with, with the leader, I guess, is uh, Joyce Grenzi. Uh, was, yeah, you know, like, she doesn't get right. a name. She's literally credited as guerrilla fighter number one. Yeah. So just like just and right off the bat, they they have a little intro action sequence with them, just the three of them, to introduce who they are and their prowess. And again, right, again, same thing. Right from the get go, this first act, you're seeing. Oh, we we're just some high level martial arts Hong Kong action film going on right now. They need to do like this, like this, this, like a uh, Metal Gear, like this super cool secret squirrel, like like 
infiltration to kill some uh, Viet Cong soldiers. It's it's, it's so awesome. And that's the and then you get to see them uh, meet up with the soldiers and they get the mission. It isn't. It also kind of clues you in that although there's going to be martial arts, it isn't going to be your clean and tidy honorable martial arts. Because I love the fact that Joyce kicks a guy over and then proceeds to knife him between the legs, and that's <laughs> yeah. how he dies. And I was right like, in the "Oh, I'd forgotten that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, and that, that, yeah, that also keeps like there's going to be definitely there are several just wild like wildly like maybe not gory but just bloody just uh violent kills that 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 are really unexpected or, and how they play out and, and people might have seen you know gifs or youtube clips of these kind of kills but it's like just from that first you know the, the first kill basically is wow this is this is a uh, not your typical action joint but they, they go into special here yeah so that's good yeah so you know from there you know like, uh into village and they you kind of figure, they meet up there to contacts um, and you know this is where uh, one of the other main characters is uh, Yun Ba, as they call him Rat. Uh, he's a, a Vietnamese local, but uh, he's has skills of his own. As a, well, he's he's a I guess a liquor slash merchant, but he's also a, kind of a resistance fighter in a way himself. Um, so yeah, so then once once the whole crew is assembled, um, they have to go and figure out how to get to the ca- uh, weapons cache, and the story goes from there. So and then you see them the perilous journey through through the movie, and they're reaching their goal. No, and all the obstacles they meet along the way. Well, I said I said spoilers, but I don't want to. I don't want to like go plot for plot point because this is just a. I want for those listening who haven't seen it yet. It's just fun to experience how how the drama, how the uh, how the gears of plot play out in this, in this context again because it's uh, a a quirky, well, Hong Kong style action film with this serious war mission um um device in it. So it's really fascinating to see how it plays out because it's like uh, things like uh, betrayals and uh, hidden spies and all all this kind of stuff that goes on, and they 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 the way they the way they approach those those typical war film tropes is really 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 interesting to see. So, yeah, and uh, I'm not as fussed about spoiling a nearly forty year old movie, but again, if you <laughs> haven't seen this, I would recommend watching it, even even if you still listen to the rest of this conversation. It is. No, nothing we say could do it justice. If you've never seen it, which I would be very surprised, um, track it down. Like I said, there's Blu-rays of it now. There are old DVDs. I'm sure it's online somewhere to rent, but it's not hard to find like it used to be. Uh, the Blu-ray in question is three films with Sammo Hung, so you get two other classics of his as well. It's a it's a very good Blu-ray, well worth your investment. Um, the, the other thing as well is... Before they meet up with Yeonbyu, they have that sequence where they're hiding out in a in a house on the river. And I love that scene in general because it's really tense. It's really, you know, ev- everybody starts sweating because they don't know if they're going to get discovered. They do. It all goes wrong. And you get to see Samo and Joyce basically fight side by side and, like, kill some people. Because, again, it's not really fighting. It's just killing. But yeah. what I what I really like about that and a theme that carries on is all three of these guerrilla fighters are played by very attractive actresses and the entire film is spent with all of the guys basically commenting on how they're not attractive and <laughs> uh, I, I i kind of found that a bit weird and i thought oh, that's that's just you know that that slightly dated sense of humor I, I didn't think too much of it but then when i watched an interview with samo uh that's on the blu-ray he said well, I cast Joyce and I cast the, and the other two and they're all three of them are these incredibly beautiful women and the only stuff they'd done before this was like 
really serious dramas. They were done in dresses. They had all this makeup on. And then they agreed to do this film. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to basically just throw you in the mud, make you do all the fights and pretty much completely destroy the image that you've cultivated. (laughs) And they were like, yeah, that's fine. And uh, that's where all that basically came from. He was just essentially uh, trying to irritate them by having everybody basically (laughs) constantly comment on how they're not attractive, uh, which is hilarious because obviously uh, this not long after this came out, they got married. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just, uh, you know, this this classic, like the, uh, the, the Foxy, the Fox forces, you know, this Fox ladies who can kick ass. It's just a, it's a great dynamic to see within this, this war film. Um, yeah, and so so rather than talk about the plot so much, I, I want to get to like the the main actual like fight sequences or, or the uh, uh, set pieces because those are those, those these are the things that make the film really legendary. And so you mentioned you know the the the, the boat fight or the the riverfront fight, you know. Again, and, and again, going back to you can see kind of Samuel mirroring or or having the influence of things like First Blood or you know Chuck Norris films. And it's just full on like the they rip open with the. Uh, M60 machine guns and it's a torrent of bullets. It's like very bloody, very like overt, like wow, this is a hardcore war film. So that was cool to see there. But then you get the things like uh, uh once they uh once they get once they all uh have their full party, the full group and they get going, they have to evade the uh, Viet Cong soldiers. So like uh, there's a scene with between with uh Samo and Ewan Bao specifically. They do like these uh they hide in the trees and uh do like a bungee jump like bungee assassin stuff they tie ropes to their, to their legs and like they pick off these soldiers one by one it's just it's just, a, it's just like a it's almost like the movie stops it's like okay uh we're gonna pause or we're gonna change gears for a minute and do just this beautiful like uh, 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 this beautiful traditional style like a uh a, a chinese martial sequence but like in the context of this like rough and tumble gritty war film in vietnam and you see them do this like, beautifully great beautifully it's beautiful, graceful, artistic action, but they're just straight up slaughtering these crusty soldiers like hogs. It's 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 again, it's such a marvel of like again speaks to that speaks to that this very unique synergy that's going on in this movie to see it. And again, it's us just talking about it just doesn't do justice. It's just, you gotta see it for yourself. It it also has the what I would argue is the most iconic or at least the most gift and memed bit of the entire film, which is Samo killing people with a leaf. weaponizing leaves like their arrows is probably the single most talked about part of the entire film yeah and it's funny because like what what, talking about the plot you know like war films in general they don't normally get into the backstories of the soldiers because again they're gonna die so you don't even need all all you need to know is like the main personalities and then you don't you you see them get killed off one by one and so one of the interesting things, things they never really, they never really say in movies, is like, uh, how does Samo, or uh, uh, I guess in the film his name is uh, Tung Ming Sun, how does Tung know all this badass like hardcore guerrilla tactic stuff? And they never explain this at all. They never explain why he knows how to turn a, a palm leaf into a, a dagger, like a, a flying dart. They never say why or how he knows how to do this stuff. And uh, or, 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 or all his like, all his like, pretty, pretty uh, in depth. Military infiltration techniques, or you know, he's mm. he's, old, he's basically he's basically like a Navy SEAL in a way. He's like he's a special forces kind of soldier, but he's a, but in his direction, he's a, he's a crook, or you know, well, so they, they never say out loud that he, I thought that I caught. He's introduced as as oh well, they're all introduced as criminal, but but most of the others, it's like oh they they were bank robbers, oh they were drive uh, bugs, and then yeah. Samo's character is 
murdered a federal agent. Yeah. And in, in my head, I'm thinking, well, if you mean someone like FBI level, which is what I'm assuming they're implying, you aren't just going to do that if you're just a run-of-the-mill crook. So I, Samo is clearly playing someone with a dangerous past, but he's incredibly chill. And he, he, he kind of hints at some point that he was screwed over. And he, cause he, they, they all kind of act like they know this secret that maybe he didn't do what he was accused of. But I agree with you, him and his mate, uh, both of them are way too calm, cool and collected. And they act like they've done all this before. And it genuinely does make you wonder, like, were they special forces for someone? And yeah. that's why they got dumped in prison because they didn't want to, Whoever it was they were working for was like, right, we're done with them now. Get rid of them. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like, just having it be unspoken like that just kind of adds to the mystique of just, not only the character, but the film itself. Like, you know, like this, this wild concoction of, of things going on. And it, it, it kind of gives it that, that, the power of it, the mystique of, of this movie. It's just really, it's really well done. Yeah. So, yeah. So, we just say, I'm glad, I'm glad they don't say anything about it. They just let it happen. Just let him be someone and, all, and you and all that glory. Just let him, let him do it. It's great. Yeah. Speaking of the fights, the first time we see Yun Byu and he's got that ridiculous bike that he has to ride on with all the balloons. <laughs> and then he sees his godfather's in trouble. That kick when he jumps and just hits the other guy and the guy bounces that off at like 12 PSI. Uh, I think we can all agree that it, this film in particular has some of the best full contact shots possibly ever, because there are so many st poor stunt guys that just basically get booted full force in the head, in the body, wh wherever it might be. They they react and they just go boing and just fly <laughs> off. I mean, some of it is wire work, but uh, there's a couple of shots. Like There's one where Yun literally just roundhouse kicks someone in the forest. And there's there's no wire there. The guy just goes down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. So yeah, so I'll go further along into the story because uh, to come back to the uh, the war film trope part of it, you know. So it, it, as we said, you know, people these main characters they will die. So throughout the, throughout, the, throughout the battle or throughout the uh, journey, they suffer losses. And uh, again, to speak to the uh, political part of it all, they actively question why are they doing this, like. They say, you know, we're just going to be treated as criminals again. Are, are we even going to get money? Are, is it, are they dying to us? They, 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 they bring it up out loud that they, they, they don't trust the motives of their go of the government that sent them for this mission. So, and so they kind of, a lot of them, they, there's a, a lot of uh, faltering of faith or belief in the mission yeah. throughout the goals, which is really important to the story. Um, but then, the kind of, well, I guess it's a past halfway point in the movie where um, some, the two of the two big deaths. Um, is where they have they have a uh, one they call Grandpa. He's an older person mm -hmm. uh, compared to the younger suicide, younger suicide mission squad, as it were. And they have to hold hold uh, hold this bridge again. This is, this is another prime full bore um, set piece. Of the bridge attack, the bridge defense. It's a whole thing. Oh it's yeah, like, the, like a, the, sorry to interrupt you, but that bridge attack sequence is amazing, and the the visual image of Joyce couldn't get it oh, of Joyce. I'll stop trying to butcher her last name. Of Joyce <laughs> and Yun, uh, holding those gigantic machine guns is just like what that's that's your front cover material right there. Yeah, and then that then you have someone like this uh makes his trampoline something into stabs people like it's it's oh again again it's, you got it you guys you got to see this or even if you have to watch it again actually we're finished talk about this it's, 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 it's the, the level of, of craft and and, and and imagination on 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 display. But you know, so we get to like this uh these two big deaths. With the like, I guess the Samuel's like kind of his right hand man, as it were, 
and uh, they got it they took from his grandpa, which I didn't realize till till after the fact. The character grandpa is a Yuan Wu Ping, the world famous, you know, iconic uh, fight choreographer. Who you know, he's been an actor, a star of his own right. But uh, you know, most Americans would know him from like The Matrix and stuff like that. And but he he's had decades of very prestigious martial arts uh, uh, choreography and, and acting. Uh, but yeah, so you know, it, it, this is like kind of a this this uh this last stand is kind of a draw, protracted sequence where they kind of took over their their regrets or their 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 mistakes in life as they kind of fa- face their inevitable end. And that, that, that does, this is one of the, one of a few moments of actual genuine, like somber uh, pathos that you would expect from a typical war film. Like they actually go, go the distance and like say, no, this, this is a, they don't try to like cheapen it or they don't try to like, they don't try to use the same humor they've been using throughout the film. Well, I, I, there's humorous parts to it, of course, because how they talk. Well, like they they make sure that it's a, they take the scene itself seriously, but the characters being the but the characters had their own black humor at heart, so they they let it play out that way too. So yeah. like, there's some humor to it, but it's meant to be. You know, this is a serious, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I thought that was, that was really well done with the way. Once again, this perfect melding of the Eastern Hong Kong sensibilities with these war film tropes and it works out really really well. Um. Uh, uh, there's another scene I, uh, that came before that that I want to talk about, but before we do that, the old the, the old guy in inverted commas because obviously he wasn't actually that old, but obviously that was Young Wu Ping. But did you know who the other guy was who was playing Samo's uh, best friend? Who was it? Corey Yun. Ah, that's right. Yes. So yes, you yeah. had two of like the biggest directors, you know, to come out from this era, basically both having a one last big stand on the bridge, and uh, it's one of those things that when I rewatched it, uh I'm not great with all of their names, but every single person, it's sort of like, oh yeah, like when I first watched this, I knew who maybe two or three of you were. Now I'm rewatching it all these years later. I know who everyone is. Like this is this is such a big collection of stars. Yeah, really. Yeah. And yeah, the before they assault the bridge, they have what I would say is the other big death of the film, which is the brother of one of the characters that you know because the two of them are are brothers and one of them dies and the way he dies sucks um because essentially they all get captured and then they break out and it's a really good sequence it's also really dark because they have these two kids that don't look barely 12 14 years old essentially playing russian roulette but with prisoners so it's other people's lives and then the kids are killing them and that's just normal to them uh they break out again this is like well, just really, you know, again, it's the same kind of referencing American war films that you know, famously from the, the Deer Hunter from 1977, I believe, where the, the, the Nero, you know, as Vietnam uh, veterans, they were calling their experiences. So, yeah, so Sam was definitely like done his homework and like is taking these these cultural references and applying it to this crazy action film, and it worked again. It works really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It 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 does because I mean, like I said, um, Jade wasn't watching it. These sequences kind of pulled her into it, and in my opinion, that shows you that he did it well. Because if you can get the attention of someone that's not even really watching it, and then they be- they start watching it, it's like, oh, okay, there's something here. Um, but yeah, uh, the this uh, the guys all get out, and then the the brother saves this kid from like the water, and then his reward is he gets stabbed by the kid, and then the kid runs off and he dies, yeah. and it's like, oh, that that was sucky and then you have this like you say war trope where 
everybody gets together. His brother has a big over emotional sequence of, you know, uh, screaming into the rain. And then uh, my favorite bit from Samo is he tries to comfort him. They all try to like give his death some meaning. And then obviously that doesn't go very well. They have a bit of an argument. And then you get this hugging moment between the two guys and the camera cuts back and Samo is like crying and hugging him. And considering there are plenty of people out there that would go, oh, Sam, Sam is a great film director, a great, great action star, but he's not much of an actor. It's like, yes, he is. It's just that most of what he made didn't require it of him. But the handful of films where he needs to bring it, he can. And I, and that scene to me was kind of like the moment where he went, yeah, I, I can do acting when I need to, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I I, I forget the exact term they use, but like uh, basically the, the, the brother who died, like, he would tell the, the younger brother, quote unquote, like you know, he would say like, uh, you know, or don't be mean, or like don't, or, don't be daft, something like that. So, so all the soldiers say the same thing to him, like they say his phrase to yeah. him. That was really, that was really moving. I, I, I was really surprised at that moment. Yeah, because he um he has this big speech about the fact that his younger brother won't be there to yell at him anymore, so he's kind of got to change. And then he has this big emotional outburst, and so everybody basically says to him, "Stop acting up," essentially. And it, like you say, it it it's really, I think it's a really moving scene, and the fact that they then follow up with the bridge uh, assault, which is also really tense, and then like you said, ends with two more people dying. It's like, oh man, like uh, I'd forgotten just how much that it kind of pulls at the heartstrings. I remembered everybody died, but I'd kind of forgotten how attached you get to them by the time it starts happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's all really working well, and still. All this is happening with goodness fast paced. There's still this momentum to get to the to the to the objective, you know, while it's still happening. Really good. So, like I said, uh, yeah. So, I don't want to keep spoiling too many of the scenes because again, you got to see it for such to get the full effect. But then, you know, probably the the if those scenes weren't the iconic parts of the movie, the actual climax is a climax for the ages. You know, as as they go along, you know, like the, the when they actually get to the the weapons depot, and even then, like it's it's its own. It's almost like a separate. Uh, set piece. It feels more like a uh, 007 uh, uh, compound it than does. Uh, than the forest they've been in so thus thus far, and then that's when you have the uh, you know the, the name showdown between uh, all, all the the generals and and all his henchmen uh, and and the remaining uh, heroes, remaining commandos. I love that sequence because literally everybody in it would be the big bad guy in any other film, but they're all sharing the screen to get like one or two fights each. And if the condors are made up of some of the biggest names that you've seen, the the generals like henchmen are basically made up of every bad guy of the other films that these guys have been in. It's great. Yeah, and so you see, uh, and I, I think probably the I think uh, Yuen Hua, I believe, the, is he's the general. Yes, uh, one, of, one of the famous uh, stars, lucky stars, and, and he's been he's he's been a all kinds of. Bad guy, comedy relief, and various films up to that point. You know, he just definitely gets to flex his muscles as as a Twitter Force villain. You know, one of the great villains. You know, maybe 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 even underrated villains of all of all time. Next movies. Yeah, no, because the 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 thing is with Yun Wah is he didn't want to do it. Like Samo had to really push him to do acting because he was really comfortable as a stunt performer. Didn't mind doing fights, but he really didn't want to be a character. And the fact that he he doesn't look like he's going to be a physical challenge, especially not to Samo Hung and Yeon Byu and jo uh, Joyce Godenzi. And then when he does that amazing 
kick and just sends Yunbu hurtling into the concrete. <laughs> and the audience and Yun both have that moment of going, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then, because yeah, there aren't many people that can make Yunbu and Samo look like they're moving slow, but Yunwa is one of yeah. them. Yeah, plus he's a, they're really unorthodox, like, not quite crane style, but this is really like, like, the character's kind of flamboyant as his own, but then you see they come out through his fighting style, where he's just like, she just like totally throws them all off. Yeah. You know, they're more like straightforward, like, you know, almost, almost like kickboxer kind of kung fu or combat kung fu. And these are just crazy, like, stances and, and movements that are still, that are still just as brutal and effective as, as the way they're fighting too. It's just really, it's, oh, it's amazing. Fight. I think what it is, is it's his, Kung Fu mastery blended into trying to be nothing but killing blows because there's a brilliant sequence where he's trying to get Samo and he's constantly trying to get his thumb into his throat. And I love that so much because you can tell if he landed any of those blows with proper force that every single one would have killed Samo. And it's so tense because you're just like, he he is a killer through and through. Like he's not there to fight. Every single attack is trying to kill him. And that shot where he has Yumbu on his on the floor and he's grabbed his shoulder blades and it genuinely looks like he's just yeah. breaking his shoulder blades i don't yeah. know i don't know how they did that but every time <laughs> i see that i just flinch because it freaks me out so much <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, so like i said uh, I, I we said we went to spoil it but you know i don't, don't want to do but you know basically uh the um kind of not, not the betrayal but the uh the alliances or allegiances kind of come to a head here in the yeah. climax so even even so then you'll see there's a face-off between uh, Samuel Otong and, and Joyce Joyce and you know, it's uh well yeah it's uh, uh, uh well I, I, my favorite it's the perfect uh one liner kind of bit because someone gets their hand cut off yeah. and then which the, then they Samuel he replies you forced my hand like I don't know if that was like a translation like if that was like a lost translation or that actually what he said because but then it was just it's, again it's just black humor this black comedy there was really gnarly fucked up like violent scene but it's I laugh. like you, you you're shocked when it happens but you laugh at what he says immediately afterwards it's such a, again this great timing that this great cohesion of, of the humor and the, and the and the violence brutality that goes so well and then you know again this is like the, but the fight is over it's still just, just one part one part of the chain of sequences in this grand climax you know there's like three three there's like two or three separate kung fu battles going on along with two or three gun gunfights going on along with this actual uh this plot twist betrayal kind of thing going on and it all it all works so so well it's just it's like an ideal action movie climax in, you know, in any in any regard yeah no it is i mean when i watched this the first time the the bit that stuck out to me was we got Samo hung versus billy chow again because i think Samo's fought billy chow in at least two other films i can think of and then uh, while he's doing that, Yumbu is underneath him, taking on both Dick Wei and Yasuaki Karata. And again, they fought in Millionaire's Express, and they've they, they they basically brought everybody together and just went, let's have a a free for all. None yeah. of these fights last very long, which is why I think they they stay with you because they don't overstay their welcome. It's not um like a Van Damme film where the fight goes on for ten minutes. You know, there's like four opponents. You can't have it drag on and the fact yeah. that they get in get out do a lot of damage and then all of them get killed pretty brutally yeah and then like you say you get the big showdown with uh yanwa uh you couldn't ask for anything more well 
you could you you could ask for a really big explosion to, to, to rival all explosions ever made i mean if you want that that comes not long after <laughs> well, along with the panel escape at the again the marvel of practical stunts back in the day like there's like a waterfall escaping after all this little done but they did these guys are actually in a waterfall flying you know 40 50 whatever how many feet down down this down this waterfall into this uh, pit, this lagoon, and uh, that's really up doing it. You know, it's just, again, this, this back in the days where like this, the stunt works or where the special effects, special effects was the stunt work. It was you go dive off of this giant cliff, just do it, and we'll film it. That's what they did. So, yeah, now all this, all this stuff is going on, like the the the, the, the fortress complex fight. This is all like this very minimal. Well, I mean. Not that there would be in the first place, but like special effects wise, I mean, other than the, the set piece itself, like looking like looking really expensive, like they have these giant missiles and these giant uh, this, this very different tiers and levels of this base. So like that part definitely looks like you know they put the money they put the money in, but uh, yeah, this is it all works out. It's all composed so well. You know, oh that reminds me, like uh, I forgot to mention it in the beginning. Um, so apparently I was looking about the part where they're on the military base. I I thought it, it looked really enough. To, it looked very much like a Army base, U.S. Army base from the '80s, but I guess it was from Canada actually. As a matter of fact, but even then, like this is this the way they, they the, the way they composed the production value. I mean, to say was so really well done for this, you know, this this venture. Like they used like at least for the at least for the uh, ground sections, they use real like C seventy C one thirties, like the real planes, like that that tactical the, the tactile feeling. Yeah, of the of the movie is all there. It's not it's not just, it's not like. It's not fake cutouts, or at least if there are, you can't tell. They're not like they're not like fake cutout planes, or whatever. They use the actual chassis, actual fuselages of these vehicles, and then when they get throughout the film, the actual you know weapons, the real weapons, and the, the set pieces, like you know real. Well, it's not like it's probably not a real cave, but like, like they they make it so that it's it's fits, even though it seems like out of it, it was all at once out of place, but it fits the story where they're going. You know, it's like how else would you have a uh, high tech. Uh, uh, weapons depot in the middle of the jungle. That's how you do it. This, this, this James Bond villain base. That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. No, I I agree. Um, the the American stuff was filmed in Canada, and all of the Vietnam stuff was shot in the Philippines. Which, uh, again, I'd forgotten because it does a really good job of standing in for Vietnam, like those rivers especially. Uh, I I I I even said to Jade like, oh, doesn't it look so much better? shooting on location than if they did it uh, you know on a set which is still true but then I, I was like oh right this is the philippines it's not even vietnam never mind <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. no I, I i think the the money was was well spent there's there's not actually an aspect of this film where i sit there and go oh i wish they had done this or that could have used improvement i mean even the fact that Perhaps by modern day standards, you could sit there and critique the actual weapons handling, the tactics and all of that. But then they're not a military unit. They're just a bunch of criminals that had less yeah. than a month's training and then were chucked into this situation. So you can't even throw that at them because they're not supposed to be the best of the best. Yeah. They're just expendable. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, so yeah, all, all told, the story itself is pretty, it's not too complicated. But yeah, they, they, there's enough throughout the film. There's sometimes subtle, sometimes overt twists and turns to the the story that um make keeps it engaging. So and, and then along, so like this engaging developments, 
and then they kind of punctuated with, with a huge fight scene or a huge action sequence. So it's always like it's pretty much nonstop. Even even when they slow down for those dramatic, dramatic moments, it's always the, the feeling of they're still tension because they're still in danger. They're still actively in danger. They can never stay in one place for too long because they're being hunted down or they or they're or the time time for the missions running out. So like you have this time like like like, like, like any good world film. You have these moments to grieve of a loss, but like no, we must continue. We must press on. The mission is is a, is a more importance. So that that they they Eastern Condor has captured that feeling so well of uh, the pacing, giving you time to to enjoy, to get wrapped up, to have the release of the action, to have the the uh, decompress or, or to feel that emotion when it's when it's the weight of it, and then then go on to the next thing. It's just like a really well paced movie all together, along with everything else that's doing so well. No, I, I agree. And the fact that, like you said, they don't ever have a chance to just chill out. The one time they do in the film is when they then get captured. Uh, yeah. So they don't do that again. And like <laughs> the, the assault on the bridge, that literally only happens because there's a massive convoy of military vehicles coming up the other side of the mountain. So it's a case of we assault the bridge, which is probably not going to go very well. Or we stay here and try and go around it, but then we're going to get caught by the massive army that's coming up the road. And the fact that they bothered to... It's not so much that they bothered to think about it, because that's kind of sounding like I'm insulting other films. But I really noticed that because there's so many films that get released now that I feel like would just go and they assault the bridge and don't really give a reason or explanation for why they don't try and go around the bridge, why they don't try and do something more slow and subtle. I mean, I really like the fact that Samo actually came up with a solution by basically holding the truck that was trying to pass the checkpoint hostage with grenades, but that goes wrong. And then all the orders he'd given previously are now backfiring because he can't relay to the rest of the squad that that wasn't the signal. And I love that because especially back then there wasn't really the option to just be like hold up uh you need to stop like on your phone because none of that existed yeah. yet <laughs> yeah 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 this is, this is a really good example of the, the, the fog of war as, as they say you know like, like they're doing this like this they have this pretty somewhat intricate plan for this for this attack and then it kind of all goes to shit and then but then you know they just kind of they're all there well if not training their killer instinct kicks in and they, they just go all out it's, it's so great yeah. No, I mean, I agree with you. It's a it's a really good paced film. I actually remember it being longer in my head. Uh, and I think that's purely because, like you say, it's so well done. There's no dead air. There's no time when you're when you're looking at your phone thinking, oh, this is the perfect point to check my messages or go and <laughs> get a drink. You know, every part of the film from the minute you go to the prison to the end credits, it's all just you're in there. There's no chance to sort of disconnect. Yeah, I'm checking the attack. Yeah, 100 minutes long, exactly 100 minutes. So, hour, hour 40. It's just like, yeah, it's so efficient. So, it's more like all the way through. Yes. And, and uh, well, well, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say in, in an era where I love long films, but there are many, many films I watch now that are close to three hours. And I'm, most of the time, I come out thinking you could have cut out half an hour and the film would be no different. <laughs> and even to a degree, like the modern uh, Chinese uh, Hong Kong slash war films, or especially like especially the uh, this newer era of these uh, nationalist propaganda war films from China, from mainland uh, China, being 
partly made by a lot of actual old school Hong Kong directors nowadays, like Dante Lam and so forth. So yeah, those, these things are fucking bloated messes nowadays. <laughs> or 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 they uh or they kind of just like linger too long and try to they try to take themselves too seriously. You know, like this is just again, this is that that era, that idea, like get in, get out. You know, stake stake your claim and and take everybody for along for the ride. Like you know, they they kind of uh, they don't make it like this anymore. You know, <laughs> from in, in any regard, you know. No, they they don't, and uh, it's one of those things where you say that and people are just like, oh, it's nostalgia talking and all oh, this. And it's like, no, 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 they genuinely don't make him like this anymore <laughs> because for whatever reason, well, no, I know the reason it's cost and it's safety, but the, the <laughs> Sammo Hung and the Jackie Chan and the rest of the, the seven stars, the way that those guys made films, it takes too long. It's not cost efficient from a executive's point of view. And it's unpredictable in terms of how long it's going to take them to to shoot, because the idea that they'd have to stick to like a modern day shooting schedule of like you've got twenty two days, get it done to to give a, a an example of say a Scott Adkins film, they'd never do it because they took how long they took. You know, they would. I don't think this was the case for Easting Condors, but I know that for some films they would literally stop production go and make another film and then come back and finish the other film they were already making because they'd hit a creative dead end or another film had already been booked and they hadn't quite finished. So it was a case of, well, we pack up and we come back and deal with it. And you'd never get that today. You'd ne- they'd never be allowed to do it. And it's a shame because I think doing it that way is why these films are so creative in a lot of aspects because they only shot stuff when they were happy with it and they only did something if they thought there was value in it they didn't just go we have to shoot a fight scene today so just come at me we'll we'll work it out as we go and i guess that'll do which i fear a lot of smaller budget films especially do suffer from sometimes i literally saw a post from michael jai white this week where he was posting the fact that oh you know we need another fight scene there isn't one choreographed so we're just winging it and that's cool and all but i have a strong suspicion that your whatever film that is is probably not gonna do that great you know (laughs) yeah that only only works like you know when the the talent involved is high level you know i think to a degree a lot of these same guys hunger guys did do that to to varying degrees like uh they would kind of show up on set and have an idea in mind, but they wouldn't have a. They would kind of work it all out there. But yeah, but yeah, yeah. You, ha- you, have to, you have to have that level of of talent to pull that off in, in any regard. And you know, so like like in here, and and it's kind of we see we have all the stars here on the field. You know, it's, it's an all star game of action movie. So right away, like you know, with with the obvious production value they had, plus the talent that that's that all came together so perfectly here. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. They they didn't do pre-production or pre-vis or anything like that for fight sequences they just showed up on the day and made it up as they went but it was still choreographed which is uh, where i think some people get confused it wasn't a case of two people were just told to fight each other and you know they filmed it uh (laughs) because they had to know the angles in advance but i think that's one advantage when the lead actor is also a former stunt guy former stunt coordinator and an actor who's also the director because it's like well i'm gonna get young view to do this roundhouse kick i know how i want it to look so here's where i'm going to put the camera we film it we move on job done whereas 
you don't need to do all the coverage. You don't need to to spend so much money on extra equipment to get it from 20 different angles because you don't know which one you're going to use. Samo always knows what he's going to use because he's only got one camera and he's only going to film it once. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like not like that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, well, yeah, uh, that, that's kind of all I really wanted to say um, about uh, Eastern Condors. Um, again, like I do want to emphasize that you know, like uh, I, I think that pe- for people who haven't seen, or maybe people who have seen, like there's still this kind of preconceived notion that it's just like this um, brazen, crazy action film, where in fact, and it is that. But it has a lot on its mind. It's actually a, a really like rich text, honestly. A uh, 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 caps time capsule, you know, uh, a great um, signifier of the moment of its time in the eighties, and you know, the reckoning between the the ongoing transformation of military powers and 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 international uh, relations. You know, so China's still coming up, and America in, in its Reagan era. So all this stuff is subtly and overtly coming to a head in this film, in this crazy-ass, like, uh, return to Vietnam action joint. So there's it's a lot on its mind that it's, that it's doing in different ways. And I really think that, I would emphasize that, I, I want people going forward to, like, not just think of Mrs. Carter as, like, this um, gonzo action film curiosity. No, this is a legitimate, one of the greatest action films of all time, and, one of, and a really exemplary war film um, in, in many regards. And just a... Uh, a really important, I think important, uh, you know, kind of, uh, again, important signifier of this time and place in, in history. So all the, all, and all these things coming to bear and just like this, this, um, lightning bolt of a once in a lifetime kind of, uh, we have all the, all this, this stacked deck of talent, you know, literally the best act, action fighters in the, in the world uh, in this one film, you know, and with, with one of the best action directors and choreographers of all, of all time, all, all in this one moment in time. Making this terrific product, so yeah, I, d- I definitely think that you know people shouldn't think this is some some weird curiosity. This is like a legit, it's historic uh, film, really. No, I I completely agree. I think that a lot of people who've seen this, or perhaps have seen this but not thought of it favorably, have only watched it for the fights. They haven't really taken in everything in between and i think that if if you are are listening to us and are going you sound like you watched a different film to me maybe go and rewatch <laughs> it and maybe maybe you know leave the preconceived notions behind and just really look at the acting the dialogue the themes and pick up on the stuff that's easy to miss because it's really fast like it doesn't it doesn't linger on the stuff it's trying to say. It's there if you want to see it, but it's not going to hit you over the head with a sledgehammer in order to say it. Uh, yeah, it's no, funny. God. Well, and I'm saying, I'm not saying this is not a long cry wide jump. Don't, 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 don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying this is like a, that level or realm of like, you know, high level cinema, but this is a high level. What it is doing is doing it at a high level so well. So that's what I kind of want to emphasize. Like, it, it's. Don't take it at face value, basically. Like, there's a lot going on that needs to be taken all together. Yeah, no, agreed. And the fun, and the other thing is, you saying about this is the lightning in a bottle once in a in a situation. Did you know that there is actually technically an Eastern Condors two? Uh wait, I heard ru- rumors in the mist about this, but I, I wasn't clear. I wasn't clear in the history of this. So, what does it entail? Well, 
I, I never even heard of it until earlier when I typed in Eastern Condors into IMDb and Eastern Condors 2 came up and I thought, well, I know for a fact that that's not a proper sequel because I'd never heard of this before. And apparently in 2020, uh, they somebody made a short film uh, and it says, and I quote, two lone soldiers in Vietnam take out endless Viet Cong troops in this tribute to Sammo Hung's 1987 masterpiece. And it's got... Uh, Sung Ho Park, Nathan Edward Plus, and Alec Tillett, who's also the director. So I have no idea how legitimate it is, but <laughs> it, it comes up when you look for it. And I'm just like, when I saw that, I was just like, what? There's a two? And it's like, oh, no, there's not, there's not really a two. <laughs> Don't know how they got away with that. Like, someone, someone's going to send someone a letter, I think. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's a tribute, a tribute to the best. So no, why, why not go for it? <laughs> Yeah, why not? It's probably on YouTube somewhere if anybody's that interested. But uh, I think that's about going to about do it. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to say in general? Uh, no, no. Just uh, like I said, uh, as you mentioned before, it's just, it's part of the uh, Eureka three pack of seven movies, um, uh, Ijikano's and two of the other films. So definitely, it's definitely uh, worth worth the money to check out. Um, check it out however you can. And uh, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that I was able to see it recently. Now, now I'm glad that I was able to talk about it. Um, this, this is my first time kind of having a really in-depth conversation about that film with anybody. So again, thank you, Scott, for you know taking this time out to uh, arrange this. No, thank you for coming on. I mean, obviously, we've been debating what film to cover for a long time, and I, <laughs> I couldn't believe that it was the first time that you'd seen this film. Well, a week or two back. Yeah, um, yeah, about two weeks ago. And yeah, that's, that's kind of the thing, like, you know, because I mentioned, you know, like, uh, I, I, I joked on Twitter, you know, I, I would have gotten my action, action, uh, my action film, uh, uh, mastery license revoked if I had delayed it any further. And, you know, like, uh, again, that's like, I spoke in the beginning of the show, I spoke, you know, having access to stuff, but, you know, some things you just, you just never get around to. And that's, that's fine too. That's, that's totally okay. You know, there's, there's plenty of films that we all have that are, you know, these grand masterpieces or these grand, uh, must must haves must watches that we haven't got around to yet so you know we have you know we have the rest of our lives to discover these gems but you know that's the beauty of movies like you know at least in broadly broadly speaking they're always going to be there for us they'll always be there for us to discover and, and to live in their glory so it's all good take your time <laughs> oh no i i completely agree um i've never seen top gun which always amazes <laughs> which always amazes people and it kind of amazes me that I've gone this long without seeing it. I am going to fix that soon because I want to watch Maverick. Um, but I can't really do that when I've never seen Top Gun. <laughs> well, you know, that's funny. I want to kind of change the gears here. I do wonder, I, is this the kind of experience you can only do once? But I, I would be curious to see how someone's reacting to who hasn't seen the first Top Gun reacts to the new one. Because, well, yes, there's very direct, both, there's very direct, Links to the plots and stuff, and even imagery of the first film. But I, I, I well, Liam and Liam and I discussed this in a show recently. It was like, uh, they, these movies are also made with people who never seen the first one in their mind. You know, this, this is Maverick is someone's first Top Gun. So I'd be curious to see how if let me know like if you decide to watch Top Gun the first original movie first or not because I, I, I think you might. Well, and I think to the film's strength, I think that it would maybe it wouldn't even matter because well, at least I feel. Maverick is so strong uh, as on its own on its own as its own film that you might not even need to you know. Well, it certainly adds to the weight and depth of what's happening to the characters and stuff. But it's just a world, such a world of movie on its own that you might not even 
leave us there you watch it so yeah i'm curious let me let me know what you do which is how to do I'm curious. yeah 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 and uh, just before we go the other two films in the samo box set are the iron fisted monk and the magnificent butcher which are completely different to eastern condor <laughs> they're both old school kung fu films but they're both classics i actually remember uh, i have both of those on dvd as well and iron fisted monk especially was an absolute nightmare to get hold of back in the days when trying to find these dvds were you know it was like trying to find the lost scrolls of an ancient civilization <laughs> and i ended up with two copies of it because the first one i got the disc skipped and i was very very angry <laughs> <laughs> so if you've never seen any of them or if you've seen them but you don't own them i would highly recommend picking that up but thank you once again vice for coming on and chatting with me about a Samo hung film uh i'm always up to chat about any of the classic 1980s hong kong films so it was nice to get one out there because uh ever since the boys over who dropped the popcorn did it i've been waiting for enough time to pass so that i could do it and then all the stars aligned and it just suddenly happened so thank you very much i'm gonna be a part of this thank you for having me i'm gonna hand you back over to the me of the future now to uh give whatever needs to be said in the outro and hopefully tell you what's coming next so See you guys in a sec. And lo, the me of the future hath arrived. Welcome back. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. I gotta say a massive thank you once again to Vice for coming on. Vice and I had never actually talked like in, in person before. So whenever that's the case, it's always kind of nerve wracking because you really hope that you're going to gel with someone, but there's no guarantee it's going to happen. But I gotta say, man. Vice might be one of the nicest, most easygoing, and easy-to-talk-to people I've ever met. Uh, he uh, he immediately was just right down to go, and as you heard, he had some great insights on both the film itself, but also we had a great conversation about some off-topic stuff. I mean, we, we literally went off-topic just from him introducing himself, and I gotta say, like, I would have Vice back any day of the week, as long as it's an action film, obviously. Like, if there's something he wants to talk about, I'm probably never going to say no. Even if I haven't seen it, I'll be like, I'll watch it. <laughs> and I could definitely see as well, both Mike and Liam, who are, you know, on this show, have said that when they were originally uh, thinking about doing action for everyone, they were like, if we don't have Vice on the show, then there is no show. And after having him on and speaking to him directly rather than just listening to him every week i can see why uh, i will you know I, I, i'll always be thankful vice for coming on and uh, i hope that uh, we can have you on again and you know we'll start the cycle anew we'll we'll throw out the nets and we'll see which one of the a4e hosts we can uh, convince to come back first it's gonna be interesting now uh, obviously mike has been a day one supporter from the beginning but uh, we've had both liam and vice on and we've had Mike on several times, so as Vice himself says, the circle is now complete. And it's like, what do I do with my life now, man? <laughs> if you enjoyed that conversation about Eastern Condors, be sure to let me know, to be honest. I, I genuinely love hearing people's feedback. Uh, leave us a review if you're on a podcast app that can, like, you know, Apple or Google or whatever the kids are using these days. There's so many options out there now. If you follow us on Twitter... Feel free to leave a comment below my tweet about this episode. If you follow us on our 
recently created Instagram, feel free to do the same thing there. Like, I genuinely will read them and respond if uh, if it's the sort of thing that, you know, necessitates a response. I, I'm always happy to keep the conversation going. So, that leads me to the ending moment where I tell you what is coming next, and that is getting harder and harder because everything got so thrown out of rack with the death of my laptop. Next week's episode, after much deliberation, that definitely didn't happen as I was saying this out loud, is going to see a brand new voice join us to talk about a film that I really enjoyed, and that is uh, the Chris Hemsworth starring vehicle Extraction directed by Sam Hargreaves in his directorial debut, and it is an exclusively on-Netflix film. There is a sequel on the way, and I am very much excited for it, and I decided to uh, throw the net out a bit, and next week's is uh, a different host, somebody that we've never had on before. He's the host of his own podcast that has nothing to do with action films, so it's a really interesting conversation because we come at this from two very different places of enjoyment. So I hope you're excited for that one because uh, this is one of those episodes that has been sitting waiting to come out for so damn long due to everything that's been going on the last couple months. So I'm happy that at long last it gets to see the light of day. So I shall see you then, folks. But that is going to be it for this one. Thank you very much for listening to the end. Stay safe, take care of yourselves, and I shall see you on the next one. On the action